1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.
2: As tensions continue to rise at COP26, with just two days left until talks are supposed
1: to end…
0: It's not time to sit back and relax. We have not done it yet.
1: Those targets we find have only reduced the emissions gap by about 15 to 17 percent.
3: We are nowhere near where we need to be yet. So I'm saying to the leaders who are here now, this
0: is on your watch. (sighs) Sorry. It's so
2: important. Late yesterday, China and the US announced a surprise plan to work together on cutting greenhouse gas emissions in the next crucial decade.
3: This declaration makes a statement about that effort to cooperate, about the imperative to cooperate.
2: There were some key areas mentioned. Methane, energy, industry and transport. Globally... That last sector accounts for around a quarter of CO2 emissions, which is why transport had its own dedicated day on Thursday, with a focus on electric vehicles. No doubt with some influence from Elon Musk's Teslas, electric cars are not only trendy, but being held as the green solution for transport. But is it really as simple as that? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly Daily. COP26, Day 10. What's the future for trains, planes and automobiles? To find out about the future of transport, I spoke to Guardian environment reporter Oliver Millman. Boris Johnson's slogan for COP was coal, cars, cash and trees... So let's talk about cars. Why are they so bad?
0: They are responsible for around a fifth of all emissions put out globally. And they are bad for a number of other reasons other than climate. So the announcements today are aimed at shifting at least some of those burdens away from, from people.
2: And what announcements have we heard on Transport Day
0: so Transport Day's big announcement was this uh, pledge to shift to zero emissions vehicles by 2040. 24 countries signed up, including the UK, which had already got such a, an agreement. And some other countries have said they'll try and do more, such as India, on top of that, 24 countries. A number of car makers have also joined such as Ford, General Motors. Some declined to sign up, such as BMW and Toyota. And some countries, such as the US and China and Germany, the big three automakers of the world, also failed to sign up. So it was a a kind of mixed bag, really. But um, the British government are kind of holding up as a kind of triumph and a a very big landmark agreement to help cut um, fossil fuel emissions.
2: And zero-emission cars sound great. Now, that includes electric cars.
0: Yes, that's right.
2: And so they're obviously better than petrol and diesel cars
0: Hmm.
2: but where is the technology at the moment?
0: So the technology has progressed rapidly in the last few years. It used to be very expensive uh, to buy an electric car and it wouldn't get you very far before you'd have to recharge so you'd have people stranded by the side of the road that situation has improved Um, the technology has got better lithium-ion batteries are denser they can hold more power they can get you further the cost has come down as well as a result of that Uh, the batteries become cheaper so we're about to hit kind of cost parity between electric cars and petrol and diesel cars and the third aspect is the infrastructure where you can get charged uh, and that's variable
2: so let's say that we fixed all the infrastructure issues so that no one ended up stranded on the side of a road. Would electric cars really be the silver bullet that they're made out to be if we swapped all petrol and diesel cars over to electric? Would it really solve all the issues around emissions?
0: Um. Mm, it would not it would take a huge bite out of the emissions I mean um, even when you account for the manufacturer of uh, electric cars once they are on the road they're just uh, far far better for the environment than petrol and diesel cars they obviously don't emit carbon dioxide Um, And there are some controversies around the mining of lithium for the batteries, uh, often done in poorer developing nations in questionable conditions. So that is an area of concern.
2: And obviously it will depend where we're getting our electricity from too.
0: Yeah, that's right. So the grid is the first step in decarbonisation. Once you clean up the grid and you're getting all our energy from solar, wind, hydro, other renewable sources. So once we have clean energy, we can electrify everything else. That is then therefore provides this cascade of benefits that are better for the climate.
2: So when we've got the infrastructure and more renewable energy, using an electric car will be better than driving a fossil fuel-powered car. But perhaps we're coming at this completely the wrong way. Even if we electrified every single car on the roads, there's still the carbon emissions that come from making them. Then there's the particulates that come off the tyres and brakes, which go into the air, the microplastics that end up in the sea, And, after all that, the traffic. What we should be doing is improving and expanding the low-carbon, traffic-reducing alternatives we already have. Walking, cycling and public transport. But public transport didn't really get much of a look in today in the conference halls. And it wasn't the only glaring admission either. One of the things that I've been surprised about is how little focus there seems to be on aviation. And in the UK, there are plans to expand 23 of our airports. I mean, how crucial is getting on top of these emissions from aviation?
0: Yeah, it is important. I mean, the expansions you're talking about, is estimated to add 2 or 3 billion tonnes of carbon dioxide, which is um, significant over the lifetime of these airports' expansions. So aviation is is important. It only accounts for about 2 to 3% of global emissions when you tot it up. And it's primarily a pastime of wealthy people in wealthy countries. I mean, I think the top kind of 10% of people in terms of wealth take the majority of flights in the world, uh, addressing the habits of the few could, could have a, a big climate impact. And of course, aeroplanes are, are kind of far behind cars and other modes of transport when it comes to being sustainable, having electric options.
2: And because of that, it's deemed a difficult to decarbonise sector. Do you think that's one of the reasons why it hasn't had so much focus on transport day here at COP or is it because some of our leaders have a a preference for flying in private jets?
0: Yeah, I think that's a a really good point and I think it's maybe a little bit of both. I mean, Boris Johnson, of course, took a private jet after his speech here at COP. So did Prince Charles, took a separate jet, private jet, back from Scotland. And aviation has passed itself off as an area that, is too hard to decarbonise. It's almost as if it's given itself a free pass. It's not part of the Paris Agreement, for example, aviation can do what it likes outside the Paris Agreement. So it's kind of bound by lesser kind of agreements to cut emissions. It's, it's well behind. And when you look at the kind of transport sector as, as a whole, I think there's been some good progress with cars, less so with flying, shipping, and some, other, some of those other big emitting areas for sure.
2: curious as to why aviation is so difficult to decarbonise. So I went to a talk at the People's Summit where I met Finlay Asher, an engineer who used to design aircraft engines who now runs Safe Landing, a group for aviation workers concerned about the climate. I asked him how the aviation industry says it's going green.
3: The first thing is electric aircraft. So Rolls-Royce, they have a stand down in the COP26 exhibition right now. It's got a little electric aircraft sitting in there, and they're going to try and break the world speed record using an electric aircraft great, but that aircraft can only carry one person and it can only fly for 10 minutes. And actually, if you look at the capability of batteries and motors because of their weight, this is only gonna be possible in the next 20 years with aircraft that can carry maybe 10 people, fly about an hour, whereas the average aircraft is 150 to 300 people and flies for 10 to 20 hours, right? So it's just simply not a competitor for aircraft the way we fly today and the way our airports are designed. And the same is really true of hydrogen, Hydrogen is okay in weight, but it's really bad for volume. And you need these hydrogen storage tanks that are super big, um, they're very heavy, and you've got to redesign the aircraft. So not only is it a bad fuel, but also it's going to take us 15, 20 years to even have the first aircraft of a considerable size. We just don't have that time in the climate crisis.
2: So the cleanest options are at least a decade away, and may never be tenable, but what about keeping the planes that we have now and just changing the fuel? Instead of fossil fuels, where you literally take the carbon out of the ground, there are alternative jet fuels that get their carbon from elsewhere. Finlay explained how.
3: So the first one of those is biofuels. Most biofuels are from crops. Crops displace forests, they displace peatland, they displace biodiversity, and that... Those things store carbon. So if you get rid of those to grow crops, what you do is you actually generate land-use change emissions. And these are worse emissions than actually just using fossil fuels instead. Um, The industry likes to talk about using biofuels from waste, but there simply isn't enough waste to produce the quantities of fuel required for aviation alone so then the, the final thing they're saying is like electrofuels which is making fuel from electricity which is a super inefficient way to use renewable energy we've barely got any renewable energy only two percent of the world's energy comes from wind one percent from solar right now so we can't afford to waste the scarce renewable energy making the most inefficient thing possible jet fuel and then burning that in an aircraft engine, which is very inefficient, and flying is the most inefficient way of travelling. So it's a massive waste of renewable energy.
2: With the industry pursuing so many carbon-intensive so-called green options, I asked Finlay what he thinks the solution is.
3: So we fundamentally need to fly less. Next, we need to travel less far. So it's better just doing one flight to Spain than one flight to Australia. It's a lot less emissions. The next thing is just less fast. Now, we could redesign aircraft to fly 10% slower. That's lower drag, and it saves fuel, it saves emissions. But that requires us reconfiguring our airlines and our airports, and we're not doing that. We're just going for business-as-usual growth.
2: Currently, the aviation industry grows by 3% every year. Now, this doesn't sound like much, but the impact would be felt by all of us. A recent study found that if it continues this way, it would be responsible for 0.1 degrees of heating by 2050. Oliver, a lot of what we've been speaking about today is about the choices people are making in how they get around. How do we incentivise not flying? Because it's all very well to say we shouldn't fly anymore or should we, we should fly much less. But how do we actually help people to do that?
0: Yeah, I mean there was an idea floated by the French recently of, of taxing flights uh, in shorter flights that you could take by train so you, you therefore had to pay a penalty uh, as, as such if by choosing to take the plane rather than train. I think that's an interesting approach. They would argue that there still isn't the uh, technology for them to do it but regulation is often a good way to kind of get things moving so I mean it may even take pressure that Greta Thunberg and others have uh, have applied this this idea of flight shaming that has taken off in in Sweden and Germany, in particular, where you're actually looked down upon a little bit if you choose to fly. It's become socially less acceptable, and I think if that idea starts to circulate more widely, you, you'll start seeing people either opting to take the train for pushing a little bit harder for their governments to provide that funding for for proper train services.
2: Oliver, thanks so much.
0: Thank you very much.
2: That's it for today. You can keep up to date and find all our coverage from COP26 so far by subscribing to Science Weekly on your preferred podcast app. Head to theguardian.com for the news as it happens. We'll be back tomorrow for our final daily episode reporting from COP26. See you then.
0: This is The Guardian.
1: Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, What if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith, wherever you get your podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50